Yo, it's Lucas, and this is Modern Haunted. And we back. Not walking and talking this time like we were yesterday, sitting and talking. Uh, here with Kimberly Plummer, a dear friend of mine, who <laughs> honestly, uh, thank you for sitting down and doing this. Uh, I'm excited to talk with you because you inspire me, because you're a good friend, because you live intentionally, because you have really cool thoughts on the world, because you're charismatic, uh, because you emanate love in the world when you make all of our friends food and host and bring people together and create community. Uh, so thanks. <laughs> and Thank you. you are one of the poster children of modern hominid. It's great to be here. <laughs> you're in a point in your relationship, uh, in life, you're 33 and you're at the point where, huh, do I pursue the single life? Do I maintain independence and adopt a child and uh, live solo? Or do I find a life partner and have my own biological kids and have a family? And I think societally that we put too much stress and too much into a lot of the decisions we make in life. Should I go to this restaurant or that? Do I become a teacher or a doctor? Like, okay, we, I, I just think in general we stress about it. But if there's a decision in life worth stressing about, I feel like it's this one. Are you? Who are you going to marry? Are you going to get married? Are you going to have kids? That seems to be the crux decision. Um, so where are you at with all that? Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. You are together with your partner now. Mm -hmm. Um so I, I know, but maybe we can tease this apart for them. Yeah. Uh, when I first met you, you were seeing one of our other friends and you were really like, I got to have a ton of cool conversations with you through this process, yeah. through you, like figuring this out for yourself and like balancing your adventurous, explorative, childish, fun, live in the moment self that you still have uh, with oh, I do kind of need to think about the future and yeah. maybe I do want kids. Uh, anyways, I, I'm spitballing here. Take what you'd like, but uh, where are you at with this whole thing? What was, let's maybe let's start from the beginning of like what this process was like. Sure. Um, what are you interested in right now? I'm interested in having a family if it's possible and... I'm also okay with that maybe not happening, but I don't get with people who aren't also open to having a family. When did you realize that you wanted to have a family? Did you, because you're, <laughs> yeah. you are a free spirit Yeah. where I could easily have seen you gone like, nah, I'm going to go live on my bike and I'm going to travel the world right. and I'm going to go meet cool people. Or, I, like, I, I oscillate. Yeah. yeah. I, I like have times of like so, working towards this goal of 
being a mother and having a family and then inevitably I like also like get scared and go for bike rides and leave all my all the people that love me for months at a time when did you first realize like oh okay I think I do actually want to settle down for lack of a better word yeah and for better or for worse the first time I felt that was in 2017 so when you're like 28 um, around 28 but it it was less of a biological feeling and more of like an existential crisis I took care of my uncle Bob on his deathbed who had no children and no immediate family other than my mom who lived in New York. So she wasn't around and being responsible for somebody's death while I didn't know him very well was really hard on me. And I think really hard on him. And I don't want to die that way. Die alone. I think not just alone, but I don't want to be the responsibility of people who don't know me or care about me. Yeah. Did, was that, and that was, that was like the first time I thought, Oh shit, maybe, maybe my life has more to it. Than was that traumatic or what was it like being next to your uncle, you being the only person there for him? Well, my brother was there a little bit. But yeah, it was, it, his death specifically was traumatic and the responsibility I felt for him was twofold. Like I felt this responsibility for him. I felt a resentment a bit for feeling responsible for him. And then I felt guilt for not taking that on easier. Do you feel like some of that fear you felt and the trauma surrounding that and some of the resentment is playing into your decision to like, I want a family because I don't want to die alone. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah. I mean, it definitely contributed to the, that was the um, catalyst for, it changed the trajectory of the life that I was living. Yeah. Towards, towards building a family yeah whoa do you think had you not had that experience do you think you'd be obviously tough to stay but we can spitball here do you think you'd be pursuing a family or do you think you were maybe on a different path or i think i don't know i think if i'd had another experience where i was so intimately connected to a death of a person with no family if that had happened in some other way, maybe it's really hard to say. That might be like one of our deepest fears. That's dying alone. Like, I feel like that's gotta be down there deep in our primitive brain of instinctual stuff programmed into us dying alone. I don't know. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. It definitely scared me. Yeah. Um, it still scares I've, me. <laughs> Yeah. I've also heard you, or or you just hear a lot, the idea of biological clock. Mm. So you're 33 and you feel like you might want kids, although it sounds like you're accepting of maybe not, but, uh, it's new. So this whole biological clock thing, do you think that is playing into like, do you feel your biological clock ticking down? Is this something you feel internally, genetically? 
is this something maybe that's more psychosocial or uh, take take what feels alive there i do feel that there's like a, a hormonal element i feel like i mean my experience has been yeah there's like a sexual drive on one hand like i feel hornier at certain times of my cycle for sure than i did 10 years ago five years ago two years ago um and there's also not just like the hormonal aspect but like the emotional aspect too uh there's like a there's like a sexiness to getting pregnant but like having people come inside of me now that did not exist two years ago three years ago yeah yeah that was another thing i was afraid of and now in my dreams, in my fantasies, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. And that's different. Yeah. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing there's something, but I don't know for sure. Right. It's probably a mix of both. Yeah. Don't you think? Like cultural, like you need to have kids Mm -hmm. and also like your body talking to you, like telling you you're (sighs) nearing the end of your reproductive fertility or what? I think that, I mean, there's more talk about that now, but the social pressure for a woman to be a mother is really there. Like, the value placed on women by society, for better or worse, is really closely related to, like, the woman's either beauty or ability to have children or to be a mother. And, yeah, I think that's a factor. Yeah. What expand a little bit on like uh women's value Mm -hmm. being instilled in their beauty what do you mean by that i think women who are beautiful in general are seen as having more value in our society um and i told you this yesterday but i don't think i don't think beauty standards are just a a thing that women experience i think men definitely experience them too and i think that the beauty standards for women are placed at a higher value than for men like you it's less necessary for you to have a skill if you're beautiful as a woman um or a mother or I don't know. That's, yeah. that's how I feel. Yeah. And friends of ours that we've talked to, I've heard say the same thing. She, one of our friends is like, yeah, I've just noticed when I walk into a bar, I have less eyes on me. You know, she's getting older and she doesn't have the peak fertility 20 year old body that she once had. Uh, and she just notices less eyes. And she says when she's feeling weak, she feels uh, less confident less yeah. she's like why aren't people looking at me like she she instilled some of her confidence in like her value some, yeah yeah in, totally and she's one of the most aware confident humans i know yeah uh, i could totally see that do you feel that at all have you noticed the, the male gaze changing or it's less that i've noticed the male gaze changing but i have noticed i feel valuable when someone finds me attractive like there's a there's a related they're related mm-hmm. for 
good reasons or bad reasons, whatever. But um, yeah, definitely, I, I like, like feeling valued aesthetically. <laughs> yeah, I feel like some of that comes down to, I mean, we are shaped by evolution, by the yeah. forces of survival and reproduction. Poke holes in this if I'm going to kind of riff for a sec. Sure. Uh, survival and reproduction. Reproduction. Uh, women being the main part of that. Obviously, it takes two to tango, but your value, quotes here, uh, air quotes, is in how how well fit you are to pass on your genes and have your offspring uh, survive to do the same. And so part of it almost seems like it could stem from our primitive brain of like, well, our value is in <laughs> our our ability. ability to reproduce which of course sure. now we have our prefrontal cortexes where we can be like oh well that's messed up right and that causes us to treat people really crappily and objectify women and men although to a lesser degree uh yeah is that kind of at play like is it justified mm. <laughs> i'm cute is it justified for people to see value in reproductive fertility absolutely justified <laughs> Um, should it be the only thing? No. Yeah. But like, attraction's real, beauty's real. What would you say, what is, in your mind, if, what is sexual attraction? Um, attraction is an interesting thing. Attraction, I think, is when one brain recognizes a possible mate. Mm. Maybe. And, like, there's a lot of different things that could make a mate a good mate. But right. you're attracted to a person with a quality you want to meet with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a good suitor. Increasing the likelihood of survival for us, for our community, our family, our kids. Yes. I think I don't really believe that kindness is, like, a gene. Right, okay. I think that's something that gets created elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think that's something you would inherit ge genetically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. W w you want to riff on that? Kind uh, kindness. Yeah, I think a large portion of our personality is not related to our genes at all. Would you say that some of our personality is related to our genes? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like maybe gray. So if maybe there's... I guess we're getting into nature versus nurture. Sure. Uh, okay, so... There's got to be a little bit of it that's related to our genes. I would agree. You know, I don't know. Sure. What would you say the other chunk is? Cultural, familial, learned from from your community? All of it. There's this really great um, social sociologist, um, Bromfenbrenner is his last name, and he developed a model called the, it's like the social social educational model of growth. And it's, it, it basically shows how every level of a person's nurturing, like ev how every person you interact with in a way shapes who you become, mm. um, at, at like the micro level being like your biology, what you inherit genetically, what you work with, like the dealt, the hand you're dealt. Yeah. But then your family influences you, your friends influence you, what school you go to influences yeah. you, where that school is in the country influences you, which country you live in influences you, where you travel to influences you, which languages you speak influence the way you think. And it's like, 
really hard to pin down how exactly you become who you become, but I do think that most of it is from learned behavior, learned behavior experience. I, I do think that. Yeah. Yeah. I know it'd be interesting to hash out how much is genetic, yeah. how much is cultural learned, you know, same for like sports, right? How much is talent, God given talent, right? And how much is because no, I committed to a practice. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell has stuff to say about that. Interesting. <laughs> uh, but what you said, I think is supported. I'm just, I'm reading this book behave by Robert Sapolsky. Just it's called biology of humans that are best and worst. And he's this primatologist. He studies monkeys and he studies humans. Uh, he's a neuroscientist as well. And he talks about how our prefrontal cortex, uh, the part of the brain that, self-regulates and uh, does the hard thing when it's the right thing, how that doesn't come online until we're there about 11 or 12, which you and I both know of being teachers, <laughs> uh, which maybe we could go right. into, totally. uh, you know, it doesn't start to register till 12, 13. Right. Uh, and in fact, it's then continuing, continuing to develop till 25. Those neur those neural pathways are connected through learned experience. Yeah, and you have to learn to be kind. Yeah, you have to learn how to treat people and be empathetic and right. uh, be pro social, and how that's yeah, like I, like what you're saying, cultural through totally. through our family through. And I would argue not just learning that that's what you should do, but learning why that's what you should do, like the why behind things. I don't think really click until that prefrontal cortex is more engaged or more online. Yeah. Like, and I think like, you mean like why it's important to be kind or what yeah. And I, I really think that people who struggle to a large degree weren't really given good whys as they were developing. Yeah. And maybe even, weren't given good role models. Like I feel like a lot of our, this is interesting. You and I being teachers, sometimes I feel like the most impactful thing I can do is embody the behaviors that I want to teach. Yeah. <laughs> like sometimes I'm up there and I'm talking and I can just see glazed over eyes. Yeah. And <laughs> I do my best to not talk in those moments. Like, all right, mix it up. But sometimes yeah. You know, where you're talk, 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 and they're getting talked at all day. They're sitting at a desk. They're like, yo, we're here way too long. Right. Mr. Lucas, I appreciate you, but right. can we do something, you know? Do they ever say that with their words? Um, or can you just feel it? You know, that's the energy I get. Yeah. Uh, in I, less, I, less right. eloquent ways. <laughs> Your students they, are bored if you're bored. Totally. And yes. That's just facts. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Luckily, I get to teach about evolution, the exact thing we're talking about right now. So usually I'm hyped up, especially in the morning when I'm drinking coffee. Right. Where they're like, all right, calm down, Mr. Lucas. That's funny. It's funny uh, that a middle schooler would tell you to calm down. They say it a little tongue in cheek, though. I think they like it. They love the energy, but to them, they can. it's funny. It's awesome. It's unique. It's novel if they can tell the teacher to calm down. So they right. kind of like play into it, you know? For sure. But I feel like one of the best things we can do as teachers is model kindness, model how you treat people, model empathy, that maybe that's actually, uh, it's to tie this back, parenting, mm. like 
a lot of parents are not good models of the behaviors that beget human flourishment. Yep. And so maybe they're missing the why behind why we should be kind and why we should be empathetic. But I think also they're just like, they don't, they're not embodying it. And I think we learn a lot through mimesis, through yeah. seeing be- monkey see, monkey do. Right. Uh, I think you're right. I think all of those things need to line up. With our words, we're pretty good at saying, be kind to each other. And then, yeah, our... Do we see people being kind to each other all the time? No, we don't. And so there's this dissonance, right? And you're trying to figure out why am I being told by all of these mo- these models in my life to do one thing and I'm watching everybody and it sure doesn't seem like people are doing that. And if you are seeing people do that, how often is it working out? And so having a why behind anything I think is really important for growing minds totally do you have a why for your life oh man uh yeah i do it relates to the beginning of the conversation lovely (laughs) what are you going for what's your what's your purpose what's your desire i don't know it's kind of a cheesy question but no it's your why it's the most important question and i think it's for me i want to feel peace at death and I, we're all going to die. That's very present. It's omnipresent in my mind. And I just want to be able to feel at peace with the decisions I've made and with the ways that, which I tried to carry myself. And I want to feel, I want to feel peaceful when death meets me. Mm. Let's tease that apart a little bit. Um, okay. So let's say we fast forward to, let's, death. let's to death. Let's yeah. say that you're 77, the U S average right now, although it's maybe a little higher for women. Uh, you're 77, you're on your deathbed looking back. What are some things that you feel you could be doing now or in general, or if you could generalize for humans, like if we could make some broad brushstroke statements <laughs> on, know, I love those. <laughs> on humanity, <laughs> Like, I don't know, should we be For eating... For the listeners, I hate those. <laughs> should we all be eating cheeseburgers? <laughs> should we be... Uh, should we all be running every day? Should we all mm. have a... I don't know. Are there some things that we can say? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yes. And I think it's different for every person. I... Actually, one thing that every person could do to make their lives better would be to examine themselves critically and figure out what it is that, what it, like what their why is. We are not told by anybody to how to do a critical self-assessment or like what to look for. Like, how do we know if we're not running at 100%? There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of talk around like our physical health there's more talk around our mental and emotional health, which is great, but there's like so many aspects of our health and like what makes us who we are that we don't know to check in with and we don't understand how they relate to each other. I think everybody would be a little bit healthier. This is, I'll say this definitively, if they could check in with themselves and just figure out the life that they wanted to live and then make steps towards that life. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're, for you, that's uh, have peace when you're on your deathbed. 
Yeah, to like make intentional choices and intentional decisions that won't agonize me. I've I've made decisions in my past that have agonized me and it's taken a lot of work to figure out how to make them turn them into like growing opportunities. Yeah. And I, it's not that I won't make mistakes. I will. Yeah. But the work is in like figuring out how to be grateful and learn from those mistakes. That's cheesy, but that's yeah. How I feel. Yeah, that's growth mindset stuff. Yeah. That's real. Uh yeah, agreed. Um, that's tough though, to develop the self-awareness, to be able to see yourself clearly enough yeah. to self-analyze like, okay, is this thing that I'm doing right now, is this helping me in what I'm going for in having peace on my deathbed? Or is this chiseling away and eating away at what I'm going for on my deathbed? Yeah. You know, even something like having, like drinking a Coke, you know, it's like, <clears throat> You were in Mexico recently. You know how alluring that Coke is. <laughs> I had so much soda in Mexico recently. <laughs> yeah, right? Like on one hand, okay, if it brings you pleasure uh, and you just enjoy the moment. Like I kind of feel that with coffee. Yeah. Coffee brings me so much joy in the morning. Right. Uh, that I'm like right now at least, spoken like a true coffee addict here, I feel like it bring, that's going to help me bring bring peace on my deathbed. Absolutely. But on the <laughs> other hand... Is it taking away from my ability to tap into REM cycle and long-term? Is it taking away from my ability to sleep and then be like, or or even drinking a Coke? Like is the sugar that it feels good in the moment, but like maybe five weeks down the road, that sugar goes into raising my cholesterol and my insulin levels or I don't know. You bring up such a good point that like really underscores why I don't like making sweeping generalizations because when we're we're all gonna die individually Mm -hmm. and some people i think might be on their deathbed and think "Ugh, i lived a good life i wish i had enjoyed it a little more i wish i'd had a few more cokes right i I spent a lot of time being super disciplined and maybe maybe my life would have been more well-rounded had i let let go of some of these these borders i put on myself yeah Whereas other people might feel like, dang, I really cut myself short. I could have made some different choices. Like, maybe I should have had fewer Cokes. Yeah. And, like, who's to say, aside from that individual person experiencing that life? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Finding your underlying why is so that you can feel peaceful on your deathbed. Yeah. How does that play out in your daily life? Like, I don't know, your decision to become a, a school counselor or your relationship right now that you're pursuing. Yeah. Uh, like, are you actively, is it coming to the forefront in your conscious mind? And you're like, well, I want to be peaceful on my deathbed. So I think I am going to pursue my relationship with yeah. my partner. Yeah. And like, is this a conscious thing or do you think it's... Um, as far as me making decisions on a day-to-day basis... Like for your job or what you choose to eat during the day or, yeah, your relationship and the crux decision of, do I want a family? Um, yeah, I think, I think it's maybe like operating in the back of my mind all the time, but it's really not at the forefront of my mind all the time. The, the like ability to make decisions now based on information I have now coupled with 
making decisions for the future has always been a struggle for me. Like if I really thought, if I really thought about it, I would quit grad school. I wouldn't have a job. I'd be living on my bicycle right now because no singular day is guaranteed. A meteor could hit us right now. I'd probably feel like, damn, I wish I had ridden my bike more or like, damn, I wish I, (laughs) yeah, I wish I had made out with a bunch more people. I wish that I had had more Coke. (laughs) Wish that I'd done more drugs. Like I I wish that I just like lived a louder life. Mm. Um, and because there's a part of me that's like weighing the odds. It's like, it's like our, all of our lives are a gamble. I, I, the truth is that I don't really want to live that way. There was a long time I was living that way. Um, but it made me into like a really selfish person and gonna live longer than tomorrow. Likely. Yeah. So I have to make some decisions around what, a life beyond tomorrow might look like. Yeah. That seems to be one of the great features of our hardwiring of humans, hardwiring and humans in general. And one of our bugs, one of our downfalls, yeah. like look at the climate crisis. We can't set the short term aside right now. Us collectively as humanity yeah. can't set the short term aside in our, our conveniences and our pleasures uh, to balance it with the long term, you know, we know that come 50, 100, 200, 300, 500 years, we don't know how long it's going to be, maybe even five years from now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We know that in some future date, we're going to deplete our resources and the climate is not going to be able to sustain life if we continue on our trajectory. Yet, we're still burning fossil fuels. We're still consuming plastic. We still have corporations that are, right? Like collectively humanity, we are not balancing the long term with the short term. Right. And also like us humans, like, you know, sometimes I'm staying out late, not sleeping enough. And I, that's like hedonistic a little bit or drinking the Coke. It's a little hedonistic. Like it's this balance of short term, long term that is tough for us humans. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, what's funny, we talked about this earlier, the like, the prefrontal cortex is responsible largely for weighing the out the like terms and conditions of long-term decision-making mm-hmm. um, back to this balancing short-term long-term and mm-hmm. back to your relationship. Yeah. Uh, so you chose to get back together with your ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Um, at one point in time, you and I had talked about, you were almost like, obviously you love him so much. Uh, it's growing every day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you had mentioned how it, it was also almost on one level felt like a business decision, Absolutely. like a cost benefit, like <laughs> balancing your needs with your future needs. And like you had this almost goal or objective yeah. of, well, I want kids yep. and I want a, a person to share life with. And so you were almost, at least in your words of like maybe a year ago, I don't know. Yeah. We haven't touched on this in a while. Yeah. Uh, it, you were seeing it as a business transaction as a like, well, if I get back together, then this box will be checked and I'll be able to have a kid here. Yep. W- where are you at with that? Does it still feel that way? Because on one hand, that feels robotic and dehumanizing towards your partner and yeah. like love in general. Right. But on the other hand, that's kind of what's happening. I wish more people talked about that. 
Let's I, go. I think that getting into a relationship, especially a contractual relationship like marriage, why shouldn't it be handled contractually? Like, what's the issue with that? I, I do love Dennis. And I did approach our relationship kind of like a business deal because we had broken up twice already. And I was... I was heartbroken and done. Like I did not want to do the work associated with being with Dennis. Um, I was in my own therapy and my therapist was like, you have no boundaries with this person. And if this person is to enter your life again, you need to be way stronger in your boundaries. You need to figure out what those are first for yourself, figure out what your goals are and be honest with yourself when you're not, doing things that help you honor your boundaries and move you towards your own personal goals. And that was really good advice. She was a terrible therapist, but that was very good advice. Um, so when Dennis reached out again, I, yeah, I definitely approached it like a business deal because I had decided for the first time in a long time to honor these new boundaries. I thought I was honoring myself in my early 20s when I was making out with whoever and drinking the Coke and living on my bicycle, basically. Um, and I was, but I wasn't honoring my full, my full self. By, um, by having insight, I was able to like piece together a bit more. I was able to live closer to my authentic self. Which brings up a whole another thing of like, oftentimes we look back on ourselves and like, man, I thought I was doing the best thing for me yeah. in the long term. Mm -hmm. Well, turns out I was totally sabotaging subconsciously <laughs> and now I see that, but yeah. wow, yeah. I threw that relationship in the gutter. Right. How was I so out of touch with myself? Yeah. I think, yeah, uh, but that's good that's for a, us. That's, that's good a, for humility. That's a side tangent. Um you had just mentioned how your therapist gave you advice on putting yourself first and setting your boundaries and like seeing this as a, for lack of a better term, a business transaction to the core. Is it that cutthroat? Is it like a cost benefit? Well, if this person is going to add to my life and I balance all the costs and benefits, and if it's a net positive for me, then okay, I'll say yes to you and we'll put a ring on it and we'll have kids. Like that seems a little vain. That seems a little self-interested, selfish. Is that, is that how it is? I will admit that I'm a pretty vain person. But For the listener, that is not true. <laughs> she is incredibly kind, loving, and always caring for others. I think, I think there's a negative connotation to vanity. I, I will say that I do care about, like I care about how people see me to a degree. There's a double, there's a, like a double-edged sword to it. I always want people to like me. Same. And if people don't, there's the other half of me that's like, well, fuck you. <laughs> You're missing out. <laughs> um, but anyway, to go back to like seeing relationships as business transactions, I don't. I don't see that as a problem. I think we would have healthier relationships if more people were honest about what a relationship really is. It's like two people coming together to have their to like help each other meet goals and if your goals align why not like communicate about what you want to get out of this relationship and like what you expect from each other 
what if we all communicated a little more honestly about what we wanted from people? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's bad. Yeah. And like for me and Dennis, a hundred percent getting back together started as a, you want this thing. I want this thing, but we weren't alone. Like we didn't just decide to take it on alone. We started couples counseling as well. And I would say, if you're going to enter a relationship as like a business sort of arrangement where you and another person agree to help each other meet goals, I would get a therapist to help you. Um, so this is, this is reverse from how most relationships start. I would say, I mean, you guys, you and Dennis have a long history where I'm sure yours did start with the lustiness and, oh, you're so hot yeah. and the hot, steamy <laughs> sex and it shakes out. Yeah. Uh, I would say most relationships though, start off with this lusty sexual attraction into them, yeah. into some, into their personality as well. Right. Uh, and then later down the road, the things get hashed out as far as, well, what do you want? Where are you going? Right. Do you want kids? Do you want to live in this type of house? Would you want to live in the Northwest of the United States? Or <laughs> I want to move to Thailand. Or, Tell you know. your ride. Yeah. Tell you ride. <laughs> uh, Tell your ride. Sponsoring this episode of Modern Hominid. <laughs> brought to you by... Uh, yes. And so th- that's reverse from how most people do it. So my, here's my question that I want to cue you up on for a healthy, sustainable relationship. Uh, what do you feel like needs to be at the base? What are the building blocks? What, what are the pieces to the puzzle that give us any shot at a semblance of long-term sustainable love? Um, and is that possible? Is it possible? This will be a side question we can come back to. Is it possible to be in love or to love someone for till death do us part? I think it depends on how you define love. Let's get back to that. I'll, I'll bring us back to that. Sure. What do you think needs to be at the base of a, of a healthy relationship, sustainable, healthy relationship? A good couples counselor. Just kidding. (laughs) Oh, Okay, but let's tease that but apart. Really, but really, that's very helpful. Yeah, <laughs> communication, right? Yeah. Like, what is a couple's count? You're at couples counseling. What do they? What does they help you with communication? They period. do because our our counselor is so good. Like we we started the relationship as business partners, and basically we went to the counselor and we were like, "These are our plans. Can you help us figure out if these are good plans or bad plans? Like, is this a good idea or should we just break up and be done?" And, uh, truly, like, truly, oh, people say this, so it does sound cheesy, but, like, I think being honest about what you want and what your expectations are is probably vital. It's really vital. Providing a space for open, honest communication. Yeah. And building systems into the relationship to continually check in about it. Right. If you're not honest about what you want, then you're probably not going to get it. Yeah. And if you don't get it, you're not going to be happy. Yeah. So my answer to the question I just asked you, a friend asked me the other day, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Sure. Uh, I said, the thing that seems to be most fundamental and necessary at the core of a sustainable long-term relationship more so than sexual attraction, more so than 
uh, how in love you are in that moment is friendship. Are you friends? Do you like to spend time with this person when you're not feeling horny or sexy or right. lovey? Do you like, do you like just like chilling? <laughs> uh, friendship has to be the base. Friendship is the thing that lasts. And I see that with my childhood friends. The only people who I still stay in touch with, barring my family, are my quote, friends. Yeah, right. Because friendship is enduring. Friendship is resilient. Yeah. Depending on what that friendship is based on. If it's a friendship based around skiing, okay, well, when I get hurt and don't ski, then our friendship breaks down because that is the connection mm. to our friendship. But yep. a friendship based on vulnerability and enjoying one another's presence and conversation, like those are enduring things that I feel fortunate to have with a lot of my friends to where I've now maintained 25 year relationships. Uh, but it's at the core is friendship. And so my yeah. hypothesis, here's my claim. I hope you chop it up. Uh, is it friendship? Like in a partnership, uh, instead of looking for the initial pheromone sexual chemistry, yeah. like that's cool, but that can last for two, three, four years. Then what? Yeah. Friendship needs right. to be at the core. Yeah. I think being friends with your partner definitely makes that easier to assume that they want the best for you and to assume that they're giving you the benefit of the doubt. Do I think that being friends with your partner is necessary? I don't know. I guess it depends. I think it depends on the arrangement. <laughs> I think there are lots of right? wealthier guess... couples who are married 20 or 30 years. And the business relationship of that, like the, the, the business side of that relationship is like an old man gets fucked by a beautiful woman and a beautiful woman gets all of her needs met. Yeah. And I don't think that that's a bad relationship necessarily if everybody's getting their needs met right totally depends on how you're framing it right and they i read some study it's definitely it's probably deeper than that but like <laughs> briefly summarized yeah that's that's how i see it I, like there's no wrong way to have a relationship if everybody's honest about what they expect and willing to like cut ties if they're not getting their needs met yeah so where does where does love play into this? Yeah. Um, the difference between love and maybe in love, we could tease apart. And is being in love, is that a necessary ingredient for a long-term partnership? Uh, what does it even mean to be in love? How is that different from love? Take what feels alive for you. Yeah. This is a new thought. Love it. But Let's based on this conversation, I feel like you love somebody who meets your needs consistently or like meets your expectations consistently. Um, and you have different expectations and different needs for different relationships, but I tend to love people who meet my needs. Okay. But the, the, but the mailman meets our needs. Sure. And he meets our expectations. I expect that he drops the mail off in the box every day. And yeah. he does that consistently. I don't love the mailman. But maybe it's because mail isn't a high priority for you. But, like, the things that are high priority for you, like... Stop. Maybe the things that are high priority for you, like, um, feeling wanted or... 
feeling heard or feeling sexy or whatever, things that are closer to your heart that are of higher value for you, like if you're getting those needs met, that may, you would love those people. Or even at a job, like, you know, there are coworkers that you love and you probably love them because they do their fucking job and they make your job easier. Yeah. So how does that trickle in? I, I can't say I feel like that's the best definition of love. It's not the best. But <laughs> I, I, do lo- think I love the spitball of it. It's like, um, but I do think it like, it, it applies in a lot of different scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. I do love some of my coworkers. I do love my parents. I do love my friends. I do love my partner. Uh, which seems to be categorically different than being in love. Yeah, I would say. Uh, is it important to be in love with a partner? I don't think so. What does it mean to be in love? I think that's like a hormonal thing. Like kind of a lustiness where the oxytocin and serotonin and dopamine are being released and your partner can do no wrong and you want to fuck three times a day <laughs> yeah. type thing. Yeah. Most if and like most of us are lucky to have experienced that, lucky enough to have experienced that, but most of us have also lived long enough to know that that ebbs and flows like it's not always there and if that's what being in love is then you can't always be in love with anyone yeah yeah you're almost continually following in and out of love and you can like do things to like bring about that in love feeling Mm. where you can like communicate and open things up and be vulnerable. You know, it's like oftentimes breakup sex and like (laughs) after really big explosive check-ins with your partner, then it's like once the air is completely cleared, you've been vulnerable and expressed everything. You're like, it's back. (laughs) The lustiness is back. Uh, I wonder if that's because there's like a fear of losing the person. It's nice talking to you about this because you've gone through some of these, you have some experience with some of this relationship stuff uh, a little further along. So yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for chatting. Anytime. (laughs) Yeah. Any final? Final thoughts? Yeah. Tie the, close the loop on anything? Um, If you're unsure about anything and you're privileged enough to afford it, get a good therapist. Love it. Love it. <laughs> and you can bounce these ideas off them. Yeah. For $80 an hour. Yep. Kimberly Plummer, <laughs> Plummer, ladies and gentlemen, here's to living in more alignment with the modern hominids that we are. <laughs>